I'm, the chair will now recognize the members for five minutes for questioning, and I'm going to begin with myself. Uh, I'd like to ask uh, Mr. Ahastin, uh, Ms. Rupert, and Mr. Bacon, because I think, Mr. Morgan, you've given us some good ideas in terms of this next question I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask each of you to respond to this question. What have you found is particularly helpful for rural communities to expand tribal economic diversification, and what challenges and opportunities particularly exist in the more rural areas? Mr. Ahastin? I think what you really have to understand is in rural areas, the cost of anything is about doubled. And without taking that into consideration, I'll give you an example. In order for us to pave one mile of road is $3 million. Um, and that's insane because we have to literally um, purchase materials that are off the nation. We don't have access to our own resources because it's just become a bureaucratic nightmare um, in trying to request even for technical assistance from the Department of the Interior at times uh, to develop the mineral and leasing regulations that it requires. And as we have stated in a previous testimony, uh, one of the other challenges involved is if we start going the route to exercise our self-determination, then we lose all access to some of the federal resources, including the data sets. And that is really uh, concerning to us because, um, you know, Navajo Nation, when we requested to start implementing some of our leasing regulations for minerals, we wanted to start off with one or two minerals. We, want, we don't want to adopt the entire thing, but it just seems that the, the position uh, of the federal government is uh, you have to adopt all of it. Um, and that causes problems for us because there are uh, different minerals uh, that require uh, us to really think about how we're going to develop a comprehensive um, in, essentially an environmental policy uh, within our own nation. So um, if we could figure out a way to reduce um, some of those bureaucratic red tapes to access some of our resources to help reduce construction costs for infrastructure, that would really help out. Wonderful. Good ideas. And Ms. Rupert, what are some of the challenges and what are some of the uh, things that you have found particularly helpful? So um, challenges, this is all connected, right? Economic development and talked about roads. You have to have roads in order for uh, visitors to come out and experience your attraction or your destination. So um, that's always a huge uh, barrier as well. But I look at uh, cultural tourism as an opportunity for our rural communities, for our rural tribes. Um, There's... um, not too much infrastructure that is needed uh, for cultural tourism. It's all about our people and our stories and our places. And um, that's what I always tell, you know, tribes that are, that are struggling. Well, you know, who would want to come see us? And it's the international market that is very interested in coming and experiencing our culture. So it is us, it is our people that um, that people want to come and see and experience. I, I, like that, I, I like that story. I don't think anyone else has ever said it the way that you have, and I appreciate the way that you have put that, and maybe there are ways that we can help from the tourism standpoint. Very quickly, Mr. Bacon, if you have some ideas on this, and then I'm going to give a challenge to all four of you before we leave today. So, Mr. Bacon, some of the challenges and some of the things that have worked. Thank you for that question. 
with UROC Economic Development, um, particularly helpful for us is developing our own workforce. And that's the main focus is developing our staff. It's uh, as we describe it, it's grow your own because no one really wants to live in the rural areas or move to the rural areas. The challenges that we have in the rural area is the lack of housing, adequate housing that's not HUD funded. So in order to attract these individuals that are highly qualified, we need adequate housing within our area. Development would, would be a beneficial factor. And Mr. Morgan, you've also given us some ideas of both the challenges and the, and the things that have actually worked. So here's my challenge to all four of you. <clears throat> Can, have you identified the top five things that we could do as Congress within your particular areas? I know that every one of your reservations in the areas that you represent are very different from each other. But what I'd like to do is find a way to legislatively address the barriers that you have. We have them when we develop in Wyoming, whether it's oil and gas on the reservation or it's oil and gas off the reservation on BLM lands. We have challenges with those barriers as well. What I'd like to do is every one of you have brought a very interesting story today about what your needs are and what has worked for your individual members. What I'd like you to do is bring to us the solutions, legislative solutions, you think that we could do to help you to address the fact that you've got an enormous reservation, the fact that you might have more of an urban area, the fact that you've got the challenges with the tourism and not being able to access some of the resources that other people can. Help us to help you. Help us to come up with ideas for legislation because I'm all ears. If you want to come to my office and sit down and talk about ways that we can draft bills that will work for you, I want to talk about it. So with that, I yield. Uh, with that, I'm going to uh, call on um, the uh, ranking member, Ms. Leisure Fernandez, for her five minutes of questioning. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for bringing the distinct uh, stories and successes and challenges in each of your reservations. Uh, Mr. Bacon, um, your testimony and, and what, what your driver is doing is just amazing, the range of, of activities that you're engaged in, which I think really is key, and each of you have described the importance of the diversification. Uh, one thing I want to touch on, because it is something that is looming, is the affordable connectivity uh, program and funding for that, which we know is essential, especially in Indian country where there is such a gap uh, with regards to access. Uh, that is set to expire at the end of April. Um, there are those, um, the entire Democratic caucus wants to renew it. We know we have uh, uh, some Republicans who want uh, uh, to see it renewed. But tell us what would it mean if that word expires, since you're in that business? Yeah. Thank you for the question, Ranking Member. Um, so currently, we're still in the, the development phase of our telecommunications corporation. Um, we're looking to provide access to approximately 1,000 households uh, within our service area. One thing that we, we have seen and we acknowledge is um, it is a, the service area is a checkerboard of uh, classified as low income. It's kind of mixed in between. Um, if there were, uh, I do see that there would be a negative effect on on tribal communities if that were to expire. Thank you. Uh, and uh, uh, Mr. Ahastin, thank you as always for coming and sharing uh, the stories of your very large reservation, uh, your uh, very large uh, and, and wonderful and diverse uh, uh, Diné uh, experiences. Um, you pointed out that 
I mean, the reality, I, I, I liked this interrupted progress that you described, right? Uh, and that some of the, some of the policies uh, and, and resource development has left a bad legacy. You know, I will continue to fight for uh, the RICO amendments. We are not giving that up because the uranium mining needs, we need to address that. You pointed out that oil and gas has been a mixed bag, uh, has maybe left more bad than good. Uh, and, uh, uh, but we're looking forward. Like, what do we do next, even as we try to address some of what's left behind the look forward looking? I really appreciated that you gave us very specific examples of a solution, right, in each of you is of what do we do with DOE. Uh, you had that in your written testimony, but can you sort of share with us uh, a little bit of what you would like us to focus on? You had, I think, maybe five different uh, proposals, but what do you want us to hear to, this morning? Thank you, Ranking Member Ledger Fernandez. Uh, so really what we want to address is the jurisdictional barriers that uh, limit our progress in being able to exercise our full self-determination, and that's, again, focusing on giving tribes the exclusive jurisdiction uh, to manage their affairs. Um, it, it seems a little redundant that we have to obtain three different environmental clearances for the same project uh, and that the federal agencies are not talking or working with one another. And one of those specific examples is uh, with a lot of our road projects uh, with the Department of Trans Navajo Department of Transportation. Um, the Federal Highways Administration will go through their clearance processes, but then the BIA will require processes on their own uh, and will not accept Federal Highways as environmental clearance documents. So that's just a barrier. And on top of that, we have tribal law. Uh, so the Navajo Nation does um, its own environmental clearance review as well. So having to go through diff three different environmental clearance processes, three different right-of-ways, uh, is sometimes challenging, uh, depending on you know a lot of the jurisdictional barriers. Right, and 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 some of the the potential solutions that each of you actually set and gave us in your written testimony, I think, are things that we can work on from the. Uh, why don't they include the entire Navajo Nation? You know, uh, in the MLS, right? There are certain ways in which we can address address issues. You also point out the importance of credit. And uh, uh, Mr. Morgan, I, I did about a billion dollars worth of financing, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it's, New Mexico is very small. And access to credit is so essential. And you pointed that out as well, right? That if we don't get credit into Indian country, you can't build the businesses. And the concept of the new markets tax credit set aside, I think, is something we've all uh, thought a lot about and would like to push, and the fact that we don't have the IRS actually telling us what to do with tribal corporations when we've been begging them for it, and they have been promising that to us. So there are both legislative changes that we will definitely take on. These are things we're very interested in doing, but also pushing for those clarifications that we should be getting out of Treasury that they have promised us for decades. So we will join in on, on pushing them at that, uh, and we will follow up with you because we ran out of time. And thank you so very much. And I yield back. Thank you. The chair now recognizes Mr. Carl for five minutes of questioning. Thank you, Madam Speaker. And thank you to all the, the folks that, that took time from their lives to come in to speak today. Your words are, are not falling on deaf ears. Uh, Mr. Hustine, I said it better, didn't I? Tell the Madam Chairwoman I said it better. All I say is that you just fake laugh and add Steen at the end. Okay. 
I've, I've been a county commissioner for eight years. Uh, prior to this job, I've built many a mile of road, and I'm telling you, $3 million for a mile of road is outrageous. And, and I, I, I understand nothing else comes out of this meeting. I understand your frustrations with that. So I would, I'm open to help you in any way I can. With that said, th thank you for joining us today. It's really great to have someone who understands. Uh, I'm still talking to you, sir. Uh, understands the challenges facing the tribal communities firsthand. As I often say, only those who live it truly understand it. And I think everyone in this room understands what I'm saying there. For decades, federal government has been working towards self-determination of the tribes, allowing them to manage their own services and, and economic plans. Tribes have been trying different ways to diversify their economy to benefit their members, create a substantial system. But you know there's a lot of red tape and unclear rules that make it tough for them to start businesses and to grow. So, Mr. Ahasin, how can Congress do more to support tribes in making their own development, especially when it comes to broadening their economics and dealing with all the regulations? What can we do to help that? So one of the priorities of President Nigren has been to really uh, identifying and addressing what specific jurisdictional barriers are preventing us. Uh, one of the, I think, uh, the main issues is, again, the exclusive authority to actually conduct our businesses um, free of, you know, um, restrictions by the federal government and, and at times state governments, depending on, um, again, which project that you're working on. Um, but even a lot of the funding that has come out that is supposed to benefit tribes, um, we find it um, based off of policies that haven't been updated in, you know, 20 plus years um, that really restrict uh, the tribe's abilities to access those dollars. And one of the examples is the uh, the tax credits that were made available under the Inflation Reduction Act and the Navajo Nation not being able to utilize that because of a... Um, a non-metropolitan uh, statistical area or a metropolitan statistical area definition that actually includes counties um, with, you know, tribal data. Um, and, you know, some of the border towns are doing well. Um, you know, Flagstaff, Coconino County has uh, probably the highest um, income for the Arizona region, but yet that's grouped in with some of the, uh, the reservation territories uh, like Loop, um, who is significantly and economically disadvantaged. Um, so being disqualified from the tax credits that were meant to actually benefit tribal communities um, is something that I think is an unintended consequence. So I think really just taking a, a look back at all of the regulations and uh, having um, appropriate consultation with the federal agencies to updating a lot of those statistical area mapping, I think would uh, very well benefit tribes and helping us move forward in securing uh, our future, especially in the energy sector. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Bacon, real quick, yesterday I had one of the tribes come in my office and talk to me about the small business uh, loans and, and the, and the, the uh, fear of where this is going on the small business side. They basically were rating uh, uh, a particular tribe no longer as a small business. Can, can you give me some idea what the impact is going to be from that? Uh, Congressman, you're referring to the, the SSBCI? Thank you. Yes, absolutely. Um, so we were one of the, the tribes that received the SSBCI. Actually, we were the one of the first to, to receive that funding source. 
Um, one of the challenges in receiving that funding source was there was a, a requirement of match funds. And, you know, most tribes uh, are new to the lending capacity side of things. So you, you're subject to what your lending capacity is from previous. So with the Yurok tribe, our lending capacity was at $1.2 million, which is not much, you know. But part of that is we had to have discretionary funds to match that $1.2 million. So really we didn't build a big giant fund, but we're trying to leverage that to, to be successful and fund other tribal uh, initiatives. There, there is a bit of a challenge with it. Um, if the matching funds didn't exist, uh, it would be quite successful. Would, would, would you reach out to my office and see what we can do to work together and see if we can get that addressed? Absolutely. Thank you. Madam Chair, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Carl. And the Chair will now recognize Mr. Huffman for five minutes of questioning. Thank you, Madam Chair. I'm really um, impressed with this panel of witnesses. I appreciate the testimony and the ideas from all of you. Uh, I want to go back to Mr. Bacon from my district, of course, um, because I have a special interest in... Uh, tribal economic development that uh, also embraces uh, sustainability, uh, that is good for the environment and our natural resources. And uh, the Yurok tribe has been a real leader in this space, of course. Um, we want to see as we move forward with things like offshore wind and renewable energy transition, um, not just consultation with tribes, but a seat at the table for tribes. And you've become leaders in broadband and construction and so many other things. Um, I would love to see uh, tribal expertise and inclusion in this uh, energy transition as we go forward. And um, I'm definitely committed to working with the Iraq tribe to make sure that that happens. But I want to bring it back to climate change and its impact on fisheries, um, something that's not only culturally significant for the Yurok and other tribes, but very economically significant. And um, I want to just ask you if you could speak uh, to how funding from programs like the Scenic Byways Program has actually helped facilitate some of your work at this intersection of economic development and natural resource protection. Thank you for that question, Congressman. Um, the Scenic Byways Program has been a real real benefit to the Yurok tribe. Uh, we're, we're fortunate enough to have a, a strong relationship with federal and state agencies. Uh, we're able to acquire the funds through the Scenic Byways Program, which we use to develop a visitor center. Uh, the center provides an opportunity to tell our story for the Yurok people and our members to express their artistic talents and sell goods within that visitor center. This also is a platform for ecotourism. Um, we're fortunate enough to be able to run a business of uh, Redwood Yurok Canoe Tours, and this is a, a scenic ecotourist business that takes you on a journey down the Klamath River and connects you with what really the Yurok people are about, which is the Klamath River. So we, we like that relationship with uh, the federal and state agencies, and we continue to maintain that relationship. And I've seen uh, some of the great work that the Yurok Construction Company is doing, and I've also seen uh, young people who have come up through your workforce development uh, efforts and are operating heavy equipment, restoring Redwood Creek and other areas in ways that will enhance that fishery, build on the ecotourism. Could you speak a little bit uh, about how that construction uh, enterprise is uh, contributing to your economic development, and um, also the issue of food sovereignty. 
Uh, I know that this, we haven't talked a lot about that yet, but uh, you've got a unique partnership with CalFresh uh, that is doing some interesting and innovative things that are helping address food sovereignty. Absolutely. Uh, so w- we know the Klamath salmon is a vital source of subsist- subsistence for the Yurok tribe. As we say, uh, the Yurok tribe doesn't exist without salmon. and It's, it's who we are as a people. With, with the decline of the salmon population, we've made a strong pivot towards the restoration efforts in the preservation of salmon. It's always been a priority of our tribe. The ref, restoration effort is spearheaded by the Yurok Construction Corporation and our fisheries division for the tribe. Currently, they're working on replanting and reseeding as the waters come down from the dams and uh, the reservoirs are exposed. So there's a massive effort going on right now to, to plant traditional plants, uh, native plants within that area, trees, oak trees, the shrubbery that takes place and holds the banks stable for uh, the river to ebb and flow. The benefits of this is we hope to see that the salmon return immediately. And the long-term benefit is our effort to restore an entire ecosystem to thrive as it once did in the beginning. Uh, you had mentioned the uh, relationship with CalFresh. Uh, since COVID had come into play here, we recognized that there was a shortage of food storage in the upper part of our reservation. So we were fortunate enough to partner with CalFresh to uh, install a small solar grid that supported refrigeration. Uh, in that effort, the refrigeration units allowed us to partner with our food sovereignty program Our food sovereignty program grows fresh vegetables that are seasonal. Um, In return, that allows us to distribute those healthy foods back to our tribal membership. So we're really appreciative to have that relationship. Thank you, Madam Chair. Yield back. Thank you. Um, I want to thank the witnesses for your valuable testimony and the members for your questioning. I also want to reiterate what I said, which is that I really encourage you to contact us, contact the staff, contact my office, and talk to us, help us to draft the types of legislation that you're talking about. I think if there's been one primary issue that I have focused on as chairman of this subcommittee, it is autonomy and sovereignty. I think it's absolutely critical that our tribes take responsibility for their uh, circumstances, and that also gives that we also make sure that they have the freedom and the ability and the resources to do what they what you need to do in terms of taking care of your members. I truly believe that that's where the success uh, for our tribes and our tribal members are going to come from. Is it's going to come from you, not the Department of Interior or the the bureaucracy back here. I love the idea of giving you more autonomy to make the decisions that you need to make for your members so that you can succeed. The members of the committee may have some additional questions for the witnesses, and we will ask you to respond to these in writing if they are submitted. Under committee rule three, members of the committee must submit such questions to the committee clerk by 5 p.m. on Wednesday, February 21st, 2024, and the hearing record will be held open for 10 business days for these responses. If there is no further business, without objection, the committee stands adjourned. Thank you.